Yeah, already funny looks. Uh, things are going to be a little bit different today. That's what everybody likes to hear, right? Everybody gets nervous when things get different. Oh, it's so much fun, though. Uh, things are going to be a little bit different. Obviously, I don't usually have a stand in front of me. Um, you'll understand later. No, don't worry. Just stay with me for a minute. Um, second thing that's going to be a little bit different is I am going to ask you to open your Bibles, but I'm going to ask you to open them to two places. Um, I, I think we have both of these listed here, and I want you to open to them in that order. So find Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 11 in your Bible, and I want you to bookmark that one because uh, we're going to come to it second. So find Ephesians 4 first, bookmark it, and then find Matthew chapter 12. That's going to be our main focus for the day, um, but we are going to jump over to Ephesians 4, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping... What happens is Ephesians 4 helps us whenever we come to applying Matthew 12. Okay, so we're going to use both of these passages kind of to help us understand what is it that we should do in response to what Jesus teaches here in Matthew chapter 12. Um, So both of those things are going to be a little bit different. Um, The third thing that's going to be a little bit different this morning is since we have a shorter passage than we have the last few weeks, I mean today our main text is five verses. And since we have a shorter passage, I wanted to take, um, take this opportunity uh, to show you a little bit of my process. See, one of the things that I think uh, everyone in leadership, and I think, I think pretty much every member here would encourage you with, is to read your Bible. Um, I want to urge you to read your Bible, which may sound incredibly simple. I mean, that may sound really simple, but... I just want to. I just want to urge you: read your Bible, okay, and not just on Sunday mornings. Now, I want you to come and I want you to have your Bibles open. So, if you don't have your Bible open, open your Bible. Um, I want you to have a physical copy of the Bible, or at least on your phone. I want you to have something opened up where you can see God's Word. But not just Sunday morning. I want you to be equipped every single day of the week. I want you to read your Bible every day, um, because I, well, I think about it like this: we all need to eat, right? Y'all, y'all know you need to eat. But let's just say, let's just say that you got to eat one day a week. One day a week. How's that going to work out for y'all? <laughs> Ugh, that's right. Ugh, I only get to eat one day a week. Y'all, I like to eat every day, and I like to eat multiple times a day. And yeah, uh, never mind, whatever. So let's go a step further, though. Not only, let's not just say that you only get to eat one day a week. Let's say that not only do you get to eat one day a week, you really only get to eat for about an hour in that one day a week. And not only do you only get to eat for an hour that one day a week, but somebody else is choosing what you eat, and then they're spoon-feeding it to you bite by bite. And that's all you get all week long. Y'all going to do okay with that? No. Ugh. Again. Ugh. Yeah, y'all aren't going to do okay. You're going to be malnourished, aren't you? You're not going to be thriving. Um, see, but isn't that what a lot of us do with the Bible? We open it on Sunday mornings. We hear it, and we get it spoon-fed to us, by, typically by a preacher, who's going to go line by line and show us this, spoon-feeding it to us one bite at a time, and that's all we get to take in all week. I don't want that to be Christian Fellowship Church. I don't, I don't want that. Instead, instead, I think about it like, like this guy. You all familiar with this guy right here? You all know him? Okay, The Rock, right. This is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Y'all can smell what he's cooking. Some of you get that joke, some of you don't. Um, but anyway, I want us to be like this guy. Well, physically, I want to be like that guy, but I'm not. So anyway, but one thing I learned about this guy, did you know that his daily diet, 
involves him eating over 5,000 calories a day. Over 5,000 calories a day. Now, this guy is, he might be classified as overweight, but you see why. I mean, the guy is jacked, okay? You know why he eats 5,000 calories a day? It's so that he has fuel to burn whenever he does his intense workouts. Okay, see, what I want us to do is I want us to be taking in as much as this guy does spiritually. I want us to be eating on God's word, feeding on God's word, feeding on God's word, not so that we can sit around and get fat. I want us to be eating on God's word so that we can then go out and exercise our faith, so that we have the fuel we need to go out and exercise our faith in Christ. So we need to be feeding on God's word so that we have what we need to go out and do what he's commanded us to do. We need him. I want us to be like the rock. I want us to be spiritually jacked. That's what I want for our church. And some of you are like, Jared, this is really cheesy. I don't care. It makes sense. So, y'all, that's what I want us to be like. I want us to be like that. But I do know many people, myself included, have been discouraged whenever they go to reading the Bible. Y'all ever felt discouraged when you read the Bible? You know, uh, I've known people who sit down and they read a few verses And then they just keep going on what this means and what it means, and they apply it and apply it. And I'm like, how did you do that? You referenced John Piper a little bit ago. John Piper has some videos that he sits down, and he takes, like, two lines. And he'll talk for 50 minutes on those two lines and just, like, seems like he pulls it out and pulls it out. I'm like, how did you do that? Like, I didn't, I read that, and that's not what I saw. But he's right. And then I start reflecting on what he said about it and look at the rest of Scripture. I'm thinking, that's really good. How did you do that? And I'm actually discouraged then whenever it comes to reading the Bible myself because I'm thinking if he can do that with just a few verses, why should I read my Bible? I'll just listen to a really good preacher or teacher of the word, right? Isn't that better? Sometimes I have been discouraged with that. See, that's actually a risk we run um, whenever we sit sit in on teaching and preaching. Um, And I don't want to discourage that, by the way. I I want you to listen to faithful teachers and preachers of the word. I I want you to hear what they have to say. Um, But... That is a risk that we run. But see, here's the thing. If we really believe what the Bible says, if we really believe it, then we believe that whenever you come to faith in Jesus, he, his Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. So what we're saying whenever we think, well, why should I open the Bible and why should I read it? What we're saying is that John Piper or uh, some of you who come to Christian Fellowship, you're saying Jared Allen is a better teacher of the word than the Holy Spirit? Y'all, that's just not true. That's just not true. The Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher you could possibly ask for. Like, and he lives in you. So why would you open your Bible every day and read it? Because the Spirit will teach you. Now, again, I'm not saying that we should say, well, I read this and I believe this is what this means. I don't care what anybody else says. Sometimes maybe. But typically I think that's really dangerous. Um, We should use wisdom. And we should listen to those voices and have them encourage us, but we should still be sitting down to God's word, reading it, and eating it for ourselves. Now, please don't start eating paper because I said that. You all all know what I'm saying, right? You all picking up on that? One of you. Good. We're one for 120. That's really good. Okay. You all get the point, though. Okay, so I want you reading your Bible, trusting the Holy Spirit will teach you. But the thing is, that takes time. And it takes practice. You know why John Piper sits down and he reads and, he, and he's able to pull so much out? He's devoted his life to studying God's word. It takes time and patience and practice and digging into God's word. But how do we start? You've got to start somewhere, right? How do we start? 
Well, that's kind of what I want to do today. Um, I'm borrowing a little bit of what I've got from uh, these guys named Howard and William Hendricks. They write a book called Living by the Book. Um, and they actually have a method of Bible study, and I'm going to borrow from them for just a minute, because uh, I think they do a good job of laying out a method of Bible study that allows us to read and understand what the Bible says. And they lay it out, and it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, in premise, it's simple. It's three steps. Observation, interpretation, and application. Y'all figure that out, right? Three easy steps. Observe, then you interpret, then you apply. That's not that hard, right? Okay, so that might sound incredibly easy. I know it's not that easy, but we're going to do the observation step just a little bit today, um, and then we're going to talk about some of the interpretation, and then how do we apply this, and that's where we're going to borrow from Ephesians a little bit. Um, So they lay out this three-step process, and again, I'm not saying it's easy because on observation alone in this book, they have 198 pages on just observing what the Bible says, 198 pages on observation. I'm not saying it's easy. It takes time and practice, and you'll get better at it. The longer you meditate on God's word, the better you'll get at this. But I think it is doable for virtually everyone in this room if we will simply take the time and put in the effort. So that's what we're going to do a little bit today. But before we do, I would like it if we could stand together and read this short passage. Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and it says, While he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. So, if we can switch this over here. um, I'm going to see if I can make this thing work like I want it to. All right. Um, Oh, I may not be mirroring here, Steve. Hang on just a minute. We'll get there eventually, y'all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful for this time uh, we can come together around your word, um, that we can open it, and we can, we can look at what it means to be your disciple, um, that we can see how you devote yourself to your disciples, and your disciples must be devoted to you. Uh, so, Father, today I pray that as we, as we open this word, as we look at this this relatively short passage, I pray that you would help us, um, that you would help us to know you. I pray that you would help us to devote ourselves to you, um, that you would truly be the center of everything. And Lord, I know that that has um, tremendous ramifications for the way that we view our, our person-to-person relationships. And Father, I pray that today you would help us to see that your word shows our closest relationships need to be dependent on you. And, and who follows you. So, Father, I pray that you would help us today, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Are we up and running now? Look at that. Man, isn't that good? Technology is amazing, isn't it? Oh, man, it's good stuff. Okay, so we're going to walk through this just a little bit, and I'm going to show you. Now, understand, whenever I mark this up and I'm going to write all over this thing, y'all don't have to do it like I do, but I encourage people, write in your Bibles. Um, and some of you feel, I know some people feel icky about that, and you're like, that almost feels 
like sacrilegious or something like I can't write in the Bible. Well, understand there are some Bibles that even have margins on the outside for for you to write in. That's the idea, so that you can take notes, so that you can write in it, and you can. I think it helps you understand what's going on, and not only that, it helps you actually think about the words. So that's what we're going to do today. And as we do, what I want you to see is is what this has to say about our closest relationships. Because the truth is, we can only view our closest relationships one of two ways. And really, this is one way. Um, but I'm going to show you that we can only view them one way by showing you two ways. Okay? So first, our closest relationships must not be biological. Our closest relationships must not be biological. See, here Jesus, Jesus has been teaching, and this is what we looked at last week. He's been teaching on this empty religion of the Pharisees, right? We saw last week where he, said, he talked about this, this guy who had a demon cast out of him. The demon wandered around, couldn't find another host, so he came back, found everything was nice and put in order. And he goes out and he says, hey, I'm going to go find some of my nasty buddies and brings these seven demons back with him. And the guy's condition is worse after this than it was before when he had the one demon. And we talked about how the point is, don't leave your house empty. Fill it with Jesus. We need Jesus to come live. And he was just teaching on this empty religion of the Pharisees. And while he's doing this, we find that while this is happening, right? Okay, that's our very first word here. I need to edit this here. Um, see if I can figure out what I'm doing. Um, okay. So while, so we, we see that's our very first word here. While, while he, and who is he? You all know that's Jesus, right? Um, so we could even write Jesus in here in the margin. Ignore my terrible handwriting. Um, Yeah, okay. So Jesus was still speaking. Jesus was still teaching on this empty religion, right? So he's still speaking with the crowds, and it's while he's still speaking with the crowds here that his mother and his brothers, they were standing outside, okay? His mother and brothers were standing outside. Now, why is it just his mother and brothers? Where's Joseph, right? Joseph was his earthly father, operated his father. Well, most scholars tend to assume that Joseph was likely, he was likely dead at this point. Um, so he had likely passed already, so Joseph's not in the picture. So who are Jesus' closest family ties? His mother and his brothers. His closest earthly ties show up here. And according to the customs of the day, we have to also understand, like, according to this custom, Jesus, if Joseph is in fact deceased... Jesus is now responsible for caring for his mother. He would have been her firstborn son. He's responsible for her now. He has to care for her. Otherwise, she doesn't have, she doesn't have any standing in society. So Jesus is responsible for caring for his mother. So what's the problem? Shouldn't Jesus go and care for his family? Be tied to his family? Shouldn't he do that? Like, should Jesus care about his family? Well, yes. I sure think he should. I mean... Even though it hadn't yet been written, I believe that Jesus knew how important principles are uh, that are found in like 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. There it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Of course Jesus should care for his own family. Sure he should. Because if he doesn't care for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. He's denied the faith. And I don't think Jesus did that, y'all. So, should Jesus care for his family? Absolutely. I think, I think he should have. The problem is that Jesus has an important job to do, doesn't he? Jesus has an important job to do. He's teaching what God wants from these people. He's teaching on this empty religion of the Pharisees. And that has to be his number one priority. 
doing the will of his father, right? Now, this to, to stop teaching would have been a distraction from that mission. It would have taken him away from the first priority. And see, um, I, I love this because this is kind of like Jesus' Nehemiah moment here. Y'all, we, we talked about Nehemiah. I don't remember how long. It's been almost a year ago now that we were in Nehemiah. Um, but we walked through Nehemiah line by line. And there, there is a passage in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, where Nehemiah, he's working on the walls. And these messengers from these enemies, they come to him and they're like, hey, come meet with us. Just come talk with us. And Nehemiah's response is, is fantastic. He says, in Nehemiah 6, 3, he says, I am doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and go down to you? This is Jesus' Nehemiah moment. He says, I've got important work that is being done right now. Why should I leave my work to come talk to these people? Now, it's, it may also be important to note, um, not all of Jesus' family uh, was a part of the kingdom at this point. Um, there's reason to believe that not all of them believed in who Jesus was. Um, if we were to go over to John chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, it says this. It says, so his brothers, his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. There's good reason to believe that his biological brothers, the, the other children of Mary, there's good reason to believe that at this point, they didn't believe in who he was. Jesus is saying, these are not my, this is not my closest allegiance. Jesus is clearly showing us at this point that it's not primarily biological, right? And it repeats the same thing, the same thing. It says again, here, I'm just going to keep going here, okay? Someone, so some messenger told him, and here's what they told him. He says, look, your mother and your brothers, they are standing outside. And again, their reference is being outside. Now, okay, I'm not going to try to over-spiritualize this. They're outside the house, all right? We could spiritualize this saying they're outside the kingdom. I don't know that we need to. It seems to me that it's clearly they're outside the house, and all they're wanting is wanting to speak with him, okay? Now, that looks like a big mess, and I know y'all are probably going to do all that, but that's okay. This is the way I like to mark up my Bible, and we're going to get to more here in just a minute. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to move on to the next part, next part of our text here. Okay, so let me go on over here, and we'll see if we can make some sense of this. All right, Jesus is showing his allegiance is not primarily biological. And certainly he loves his mother and brothers and sisters. And we touched on this about a month ago, if you all can remember that long, that far back. We touched on this about a month ago, where in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, it says, The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Okay, Matthew says it that way. Luke says it a little bit differently. Okay, if you flip over to Luke chapter 4, verse 26, you see it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's the way Luke says it. Um, and if you remember back a couple, I think it's been about a month, I, I tried to make this point very clearly, that our closest ties cannot just be based off of our biology. See, I, I pointed out that my family was here. Um, and before I am the son of Ron and Tracy, I'm a follower of Jesus. You all, does that sound familiar? I said, before I'm the brother of Jacob, I still love you, man. Um, before I'm the brother of Jacob, I'm a follower of Jesus. 
Uh, even before I'm the husband of Stephanie or the father of Molly, Cam, Enoch, and Micah, I am a follower of Jesus. That has to be priority number one. Being second in any of those is not sufficient. And Jesus is making this point again. He wants complete identification with him. And Jesus is saying here somewhat explicitly that your biological family, as important as they are, must not be your greatest devotion. Now, in our culture, that pushes against everything that we hear. Your family is important, yes, but your family is not the most important. Jesus is. Glorifying God is the most important thing. Your family is absolutely important, but they cannot be number one. So much so, like the gap between devotion to Jesus and devotion to family has to be so broad that Luke says it's like hate. That's what he says. Y'all, I love my family, but if I put my family before Jesus, I am not a follower of Jesus. He wants to be first. Like, by a wide margin. Okay, so if our family is not our greatest devotion here, if that's not what he says, then what is? What is our closest devotion? That's our second point. Our closest relationships must be spiritual. They must be spiritual relationships, okay? Verse 48 here. Jesus asks this obvious question, right? Okay, so let's just, let's just do this again, see if I can figure this out. All right? It says, he, again, who's he? It's Jesus, right? So he replied, oh, come on, now I'm too close to the top, to the one who was speaking to him. Okay, so here's his response to the messenger who came, bringing this little message to him. He says, who? And right now you know he's going to ask a question, right? Y'all, y'all know English, who, what, when, where, why, how? Right, these, these good question words, interrogatives, I think is what they're called. English nerds can correct me later. So he says, who is my mother and who... Oh, I knew I was going to do that. See, I don't circle nouns. I underline my subject. Who are brothers? Okay? Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Does Jesus have amnesia? Like... Come on, Jesus. All right. Clearly, we know he's doing something, right? We know he's, he's doing something. And anytime Jesus asks one of these seemingly obvious questions, your, your antenna should go up just a little bit because you know he's going to do something that's not expected. So anytime he asks an obvious question, like you're reading your Bible, and you see Jesus ask an obvious question, like, who's my, who, who's my mother? Everybody knows. It's Mary, right? You all know the mother of Jesus is Mary. Jesus knew who his mother was. Who are my brothers? Like, we, he knows who his mother and brothers are. Your antenna should just be like red lights flashing. Jesus is about to teach something important here. He's asking an obvious question again. Here he goes. Okay? So, he's getting ready to do something. We know that. But then in verse 49 here, it says, Stretching out his hand toward his disciples. So he stretches out and he points to his disciples, these people. And then he says, Here are Mother and my brothers. These people. Jesus just said that his closest relationships, his greatest devotion was to these people. Not the people standing outside asking for his time, asking for his attention. These people. Jesus says, they are my closest followers. They are my closest relationships. These, this seemingly ragtag group of people. Because think about who's in this room for just a minute. Whenever Jesus says, these people are my mother and my brothers. Okay, so we don't know if he's called all of his disciples at this time. We, we just don't know. But certainly he's called some of them. 
So there's probably some fishermen sitting around. There's a tax collector who is not thought of well in this time. There, there's a zealot. Um, there's a thief. And there are certainly some other less than desirable people sitting in this crowd. And Jesus says, these are my people. I'm with them. Over his mother and his brothers. These are the ones that Jesus says that he has the greatest commonality with. Like, think about that for a minute. I'm glad, Jacob, I'm going to insult you for a minute. So if you all don't know Jacob, he's the good-looking guy, uh, not-so-good-looking guy back there. Uh, my, my little brother's here. And what I was going to say is, you know, we have some things in common, but I'm very glad that we don't look alike. Um, and you all can do what you want with that. Um, but what Jesus just said is, my greatest commonality is not with my mother and brothers, it's with these disciples of mine. My greatest commonality is with them. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on. There's his last line, and he explains it. Now, I've said this before, and I'm actually going to mess with this just a little bit. Um, I don't want that thin line for this. I want this big, old, this big old thick line for this word right here, right? I've told you before, you see a word like this where it says for or because or so that, star that thing in, box it in, make sure you see that because Jesus is about to get to the point here. Y'all, Jesus gets to the point right here where you see that word for. It's showing causation. Why are these people his closest devotion, his closest relationships? Why is that? And he goes on here and he says, for, for, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever, right? Whoever, anyone, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they sound like. I don't even care what they smell like. Whoever, whoever does the will of, uh, of my Father in heaven is brother, sister, and mother. Whoever it is. Jesus says, I don't care who they are. If they do the will of my Father, they are my brother and sister and mother. If they are with my Father, they are with me. Whoever does that will, that makes them closer than biology. Their allegiance to the Father. See, this, this really, this devotion to the will of the Father should point us back to a passage that we talked about back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. One of the scariest passages in the Bible. Um, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This will of my Father in heaven, it ties us back. Not everybody who comes to Jesus says, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these amazing things? Look at the stuff I did. He says, only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. His will. Jesus is saying that the most significant factor when considering devotion or allegiances must be an affiliation with the kingdom and allegiance to the king. That's priority number one. That makes it closer even than your biology. It's closer. Okay, Our closest relationships must not be biological. Our closest relationships must be spiritual. It's about doing the will of the Father. Now, am I saying that you can get into the kingdom by doing anything? No. But what I do believe is that faith in Jesus will cause you to do an awful lot. It will cause you to do an awful lot. If you have faith in Jesus, it will change you. So what? Okay, so really, what does this look like? In, in practice, what does this mean? Right, I told you to, to bookmark Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, flip there now. Okay, this is where I want to turn it, because this helps us see just a little bit of what this really looks like. Practically, what does this look like? And I've got this in here, too, if I can get back to my first screen here. Okay? Um, and some of this might be a little small. I wanted to get as much of it on the screen as I could here. Um, 
And I'm going to do this before I write over all the words. Okay, so here in Ephesians 4, Paul, he's writing to a community, a community in Ephesus here, where, where they've seen a significant influx of Gentile converts. So people who, they didn't have a background of faith. There was no background of faith. And now there's this influx of Gentile converts, these people who don't know the background of the Jewish people. They're outside of all that. So Paul begins to write to them about the way that they need to be united. They need to be in one mind. Actually, um, because he wants them to be so united, if you look at Ephesians 4.4, just before what we're going to be at today, he talks about how there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. One is the recurring theme there. He wants these people to be one. Jesus just said his closest disciples or the people that you should have the greatest commonality with are those people who have faith in Jesus. We need to be united around faith in Jesus. We need to be tied together around that. Okay? And that's what he's talking about here. All right? So he says, he says here, if we can look at this for just a moment, okay? He says, he himself, who's this? Okay? This is Jesus. He's talking about Jesus here. Whenever he says, he himself gave some, not all. He gave some to be to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Now, that's what they're for. Okay, but what is the goal of these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers? What's the goal? It's the very next thing. Equipping the saints. That's the goal of all of these different people. All of these different roles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, should all be doing what? Equipping the saints. And that's why I say we should mark this, circle it. That's what they're doing. They are equipping, and who are they equipping? The saints. And why are they equipping the saints? Well, he goes on to tell us it's for the work of ministry. That's what we're equipping the saints for. All of these roles, while they may look different in function, all of these different roles should be equipping saints for the work of ministry. All of them should be. Every single one. I don't know what everybody's role is, but one thing I do know is that your role should be aimed at equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Really, what does that look like? Well, it looks like building up of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? What is the body of Christ? It's the church. We should be equipping one another, building one another up, urging one another on to faith and good works. That's what we should be doing. Okay. And what does that really look like? What does that actually look like? We see this fun word right here, until... Until we all, all, by the way, not just some of us, all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. We should all reach unity in faith and knowledge of God's Son. Certainly. Okay, I've said before that the Christian faith is not just a a knowledge-based faith. It's not entirely knowledge-based. It's it's faith-based, right? You have to have faith in Jesus. It's not about you have to know all of these things, check all these boxes off on what you know, and then you can be saved. But certainly there is a knowledge or a mental component to faith, isn't there? Sure there is. The question I want to ask then is, are you growing in that faith? If our goal is to be united, what are we united around? Well, we should be growing, but how do we do that? Individually? Corporately? The answer is yes. I just told you I want you all to read your Bibles. I want you to read them daily, grow individually. But should we be growing corporately? Yes, we should be getting together like this, talking about God's word, seeing how it applies to our lives. So we should be growing in a maturity, growing, again, down here, growing into what? Into maturity. I don't want you all to be baby Christians. 
I know you got to start somewhere. So if you're a baby Christian, don't feel like I'm just trying to throw you out. I want you growing. But I want you growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. We should be growing into maturity. And how do we know we're becoming more mature? We're growing in Christ's likeness. Becoming more like him. See, we need to be teaching one another, encouraging one another, bringing others into the kingdom. That's what evangelists do, right? They share the good news, the good news, so that we can be more like Jesus. But practically, I want to give you just a couple steps that you can take, okay? Like actually say, here's what that looks like. Here's what that means, okay? First, I want you to eat. I want you to eat. And all God's people said, amen, I want to eat too. Yeah, uh-huh. I want you to eat physically, sure. But I, even more than that, I want you to eat spiritually. I want you to be feeding on the Word of God. Read your Bible. Listen to solid teaching. That's what these people in Matthew 12 were doing, wasn't it? They came together and Jesus says, these are my closest relationships. Why? They were feeding on the Word of God. They were together around God and His Word. It's what they did. We should do the same. But I don't just want you to eat. The second thing that you can do is you can exercise. What does that really mean, exercise your faith? Well, serve. Serve the church. Right? We just talked about how we need to be equipping the saints. We need to be equipping the saints. Serve the church. I know, I did it backwards again. Don't laugh. I messed it up. Anyway, you all get the point. Serve the church. You have gifts. You have talents. I don't care how untalented or ungifted you think you are. You have talents and you have gifts. Even if they're not your own, God gives them to you. He gives them to you. Every single one of us has something to contribute, something to offer. Yes, use your gifts and your talents to build up the body. Because if you eat and never exercise, what happens? If you're like the rock and you take in 5,000 calories every day, but then you sit on the couch and watch TV 24-7, what's going to happen? Y'all aren't going to be spiritually jacked. Okay? Um, So exercise your faith. Get out and exercise but the third thing I want to encourage you to do is to be together. Okay? I want you to take a page from these disciples in Matthew chapter 12 and come together around Jesus. Closer even than family. Look, I love my family and I love getting together with my biological family. But we need to start building relationships with one another to the point that we say that this is our closest family. Period. Now, I'm, I also understand I say that as somebody who's very fortunate. Uh, fortunate, blessed, use whatever word you want. Um, my family is largely in the kingdom. Um, my biological family is also my spiritual family. So I understand. I can kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth a little bit. Um, I understand. But that has to be our greatest devotion. That's what Jesus shows. Even before he was devoted to his mother and brothers, he came together. These people came together around Jesus and his teaching. And that's what we need to do. So what's one way you can do that? Okay. Um, I want us to be together around God's word. Um, if we were to go on here in Ephesians, we would come to the end of this passage, um, which I think is also here for just one, bear with me for one more, one more time. Okay. He uses this fun word here in Ephesians. Okay. And he says that we are fitted, we're fitted and we are knit together. We are fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body of building itself up in love building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part by the way that that includes you 
we need to be fitted and knit together. But how can we be fitted and knit together when we're never together physically? Or we're together very briefly? Like, I think about it like this. My hand is a part of my body, but if I was to cut my hand off and I put it down there on the front row, can I say it's fitted and knit together with my body? No, it's not. It needs to be together physically. has to be together. Okay, so it's hard to be fit together when we're never together physically. Now, I'm going to give you one way you can do that, and you can apply this uh, dozens of different ways, so I'm not going to pretend that this is the only way, and this actually gives me an opportunity to do a couple things. Um, But one way you can do that, did you all know that at 9.30 every Sunday morning, there's this fun thing that we do here. It's called Sunday School. You all ever heard of that? Yeah, I love Sunday School. I haven't been going to Sunday School regularly because I'm usually here hanging out with my guys back in the sound booth. I love those guys. Um, They're awesome. Um, But one thing that you can do is get together for Sunday School. For those of you who don't know, I'm going to plug our Sunday School right now because I think Sunday School is invaluable. Like, uh, I don't think you can possibly put a... I don't think you can understand how valuable it is to sit around with a group of believers in smaller groups and actually talk about what God's doing, talk about his word, sitting around Jesus. I don't think you can put a value on that. Right now, we have seven Sunday school classes that meet every morning, every Sunday morning at 9.30. And I would like to say they go to 9.25, sometimes a little later than that. (laughs) But that's all good. I'm glad people love each other. Um, But every week... Seven Sunday school classes meet every age level from pre-K to senior adult right here. Plus, we're getting ready to launch another Sunday school class. So, yes, you can do the math. That'll be eight Sunday school classes. And that new one will be specifically geared towards younger adults, um, which will have a bum leader named Jared. So, um, but if you're wondering, I actually want to do something that's going to make some of our teachers uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to identify our teachers just so you all know who they are. Um, so I'm going to say their names, and they, I want them to stand whenever I say their names um, because I can. So there we go. Um, so if you're wondering who they are, Debbie Clifton will be teaching our beginners, and I know she's not here today. But Debbie Clifton teaches our beginners. That would be pre-K age kids. And by the way, they're fantastic, okay? Um, Loretta Sheldon. I'm going to ask you to stand. I know. Um, She takes care of our kindergartners through second graders. Um, Marilyn. Where's Marilyn at? Marilyn's not here today. Oh, my goodness. I'm recognizing teachers who aren't here. Marilyn Coaston takes care of our third through fifth graders. And Dudek. Oh, my goodness. Where are all of our Sunday school teachers? And Dudek does junior high. That's sixth to eighth grade. I know Garrett and Alan are here. Uh, Garrett. Yeah. You got to stand. And Alan, you got to stand, too. It's not, come on, man. They're taking care of our high school, um, or will be taking care of our high school. Um, Virgil Miles leads our number one adult class. Lane Seymour leads our adult number two class. And I've said I'll be taking care of our adult number three class. And why it's adult one, two, and three, I'll let you guys decide. Um, You can interpret that however you want. Um, But I said this last year, and I stand by it today, and I'll say it again and again and again. I will put our Sunday school teachers up against any other church's Sunday school teachers, period. I don't care where they are, how gifted they think they are. We have some of the best teachers I've ever met. Like, and I'm saying that as somebody who has sat in with junior high and high school, I have kids in elementary, both the beginner's classes as well as Loretta's class, and one of them's moving to Maryland's classes. Like, I have kids in these age levels, and I hope that the adult number three class is worthwhile. I don't know. Like I said, teacher's a bum. But I will put our teachers up against any church anywhere. They are the best. Y'all, if you don't go to Sunday school, go to Sunday school. That's one way that we can apply this text today. 
Um, I want to urge you, be with those who identify with Jesus, those who are learning and growing, those who get together around the person and work of Jesus and start building those relationships so that like Jesus, whenever he says, who are my mother, who are my brothers, who are my closest ties, you can say it's these people right here. These people. They are. And sure, there are other ways to apply this text, I know. I'm not going to say that's the only way this text can be applied. But the point is, point is, however you apply it, you better be getting together with other believers around Jesus and building those relationships so that you can say, these are my brothers, these are my sisters. We're in this together, even closer than my biology. This spiritual tie I have of Jesus is greater. It's more. Now, one last thing and then I'll be done, okay? Whenever we get together in that way, First of all, I know it's a sacrifice, your time and your energy and your efforts. Um, and at times it's going to be even more difficult because people disappoint you. They do. People will disappoint you. Again and again, people will disappoint you. But when you get together with people around Jesus with a focus on him, you're never going to be disappointed with Jesus. It just won't happen. And you can start to build those relationships and you'll learn to be more like Jesus as we are together, being fitted and knit together by every ligament with every individual part doing their thing so that we can grow to be more like Christ and have his fullness in us. Okay? That's how I want to encourage you today. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Um, Lord, as grateful as I am uh, for my for my earthly father and for my earthly mother and for my brothers. Um, Lord, I am forever grateful that you've brought me into a much larger family that consists of those people who I have something far greater in common with. Um, father, I'm thankful for your church, for these people in this room, um, even for some who I have never met. Um, Lord, I'm grateful. Because you loved us so much that you made a way for us to be united with you. And whenever you did, you didn't tell us we had to walk the Christian life. We didn't have to live the Christian life on our own. Instead, you bring us together with other people who have, who have Jesus, who have your spirit living in them. And we get to encourage one another on. We get to spur one another on to faith and good works. To build one another up. Father, I'm thankful for that because I know that there have been times I've needed to be built up. Um, so Lord, continue that work. And Lord, I want to pray for those who have never experienced uh, your saving grace, those who have never been brought into the family. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would show them the love that you have for them, um, and that you would, you would change their hearts, um, Lord, and that you would adopt them you would bring them into your family and they might become our brothers and sisters. Um, so Lord, do the work that only you can. Um, Lord, I'm thankful for this time. I'm thankful for your word, but above all, I'm thankful for Jesus who loved us while we were yet sinners, who died for us and was raised again for our justification and by faith in him, Lord, I'm thankful that we can be made complete. We can be made your sons and daughters. <clears throat> so Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.